Welcome back to a second series of Leash Connects podcasts, where we meet more of the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. So my guests today are Eileen Cunningham and Tara Gibbons. Eileen is a mental health recovery education coordinator for Midlands Live Mead Mental Health Service, which is responsible for overseeing the development and delivery of recovery education in communities in the mental health services across the six counties. And Tara is a peer recovery educator in Leash Offaly. Tara is one of a seven-member team who also work across the six counties of Leash, Offaly, Longford, Westmeath, Louth and Meath, which forms the Midlands Louth and Meath Community Healthcare Organisation Recovery Education Team. Guys, you're both very welcome. Explain to me what mental health recovery education actually means, Eileen. Okay, so mental health recovery education is education for adults around their own mental health recovery. It's based on a few different principles. The content in every module is co-produced, so it includes the voice of people with lived experience of mental health problems, family members and carers and staff working within mental health services. Then what we try to do is co-deliver that as well to bring the different perspectives to the room. We run courses for people in the community, for people in the departments of psychology, like Port Leash and we do training with mental health staff as well. So it's co-produced. We take an adult education approach to mental health recovery so that by taking part in education, people are gaining skills, becoming more empowered, learning about their own mental health and well-being as well. And really, it's the theoretical framework that underpins it all is this idea called CHIME. So that stands for Connectedness, Hope, Identity, Meaning and Empowerment. So when someone attends one of our modules, we try to facilitate those five processes, that they feel connected to what's happening in the room and to the learning, that they come away feeling hopeful about recovery and mental health, that their identity is recognised as who they are, that they're more than their mental illness or maybe more than being a family member of somebody with a mental health challenge or more than a member of staff within the mental health services. We try to explore topics where people feel it's meaningful to them and they can take something away from it and learn in an experiential way that learn about something, take it away and use it in their life practically. And then the final process in Chime is empowerment. So we really believe that knowledge is power. So if people attend our educational sessions, they are experiencing an environment where it's a safe space to learn from other people, to share what they know themselves already. The knowledge tends to be in the room and then take that away and use it in their everyday life, no matter what that area might be. Can we talk about empowerment then? So I think that's quite an interesting idea. If I were to ask you, like, what does it even mean to be empowered? What would that mean? To me, it's about having confidence in your own voice and belief in yourself that your opinion, your experiences are as valid as anybody else. It's about having control as well. So control over making decisions in your own life, not feeling like things are done to you. So in our work, we're very much trying to move mental health services towards the doing to for people, doing to people, doing for people, to doing with people and giving people control and a voice in their own well-being and in their own mental health recovery and their own journey. Those two words, power and control over your own decisions and your own life. 
So empowerment then can be something that, I think empowerment is something that can you know go across all different areas of life, whether it be within relationships, whether it be within the workplace, whether it be within your community, even within the country in which you live in. Can I ask you then, Tara, what helps build empowerment into our lives? I suppose for me to build empowerment into our lives, I like coming back to that model that Eileen referenced called CHIME, the C-H-I-M are the four building blocks on which lies empowerment. So that's your connectedness, connecting to other people, your hope, whether that's inspired by somebody else or it's inspired by something you learn along the way. The identity, that your identity is recognised, but you're not put into a box or you're not labelled and everybody is seen as equal. Everybody's input is seen as equal. And meaning, for me, meaning was found by building on the skills and interests that I had. And how can I use them in my life to maybe help others? And I suppose that's just my personal thing is meaning for me is helping others. That can be done through education. That can be done through conversations with other people. It could be done by having conversations with somebody who just simply inspires hope. Read a book, gain that knowledge that will then lead you on to that empowerment. And by engaging all those four processes, it gives you that confidence to take back the control over your own life. It gives you the confidence to express your opinion. It gives you confidence in your own abilities, your strengths, your interests. From there, as I said, I always see empowerment as that keystone on top of the four pillars and everything comes together to bring empowerment to us in our lives. Disempowerment can happen in many areas. Like disempowerment can happen within relationships. It can even happen actually on the playground if you know a kid's been bullied. It can happen in the workplace if a person is anyway feeling oppressed by, say, a regime within the company in which they're working. And disempowerment can be triggered or caused or created by other people. Would you agree with that? Yes. So when I go back to that idea of empowerment being about power and control and the power balance. So we see across society, whether it's social disempowerment for certain people, economic disempowerment, educational disempowerment, people not having the same opportunities as other people or being given the same chances in life or people being made to feel like they don't matter, that they're not equal. And sometimes people in power, whether they mean to or not, can make other people feel like they are not of value, that as a person, they're not enough as themselves. I'd be a strong believer that nobody can make you feel anything. You, you have to step back and control your own feelings. But there is definitely an environment in different aspects of people's lives, whether it is, like you said, relationships or in schools or in the workplace, where you can either build people up and look at their strengths and what they can do and start from that point or you can look at well, what's wrong with them or how they're different or what needs to be fixed. And all of those things are really disempowering for people. So it would be great if we could kind of move towards actually looking at people's strengths and people's assets and what they can already do and build on those rather than pointing out the things that are wrong or the flaws. I've got two young boys, they're 10, 12. As a dad, I'm quite conscious of offering them choices and decisions that are being made. Not across everything. Like I don't ask them, do they fancy wearing their school uniform today or not? No. <laughs> you know, you know, there's there's certain things that just have to run as they run, but I'm quite conscious to offer them choices so that they have control over certain decisions. Because I want them to have a sense of empowerment 
as they grow up through their youth and injure their teen years. But I'm also very mindful that an environment can create a sense of disempowerment if they don't feel that they can speak up, if they don't feel that their views or their opinions or their ideas are welcome or their views or ideas and opinions don't have any place at the table. And I'm mindful that very often in life that sometimes that can be the case for people. How can people have their voice heard, in your view, Tara? Like, what more can people do? Or is it more of a societal thing that we need to do to bring people in to have their voices heard? I think it works on both an individual and societal level. In your individual, in your own life, there are things that you can do that can encourage and foster empowerment. It's your attitude, how you approach things, like you say with your children, giving choices, reasonable choices, giving people that opportunity to speak. So on an individual level, on a personal level, if I can actively listen to somebody, actively take on board their ideas, whether I agree with them or not. I don't always have to agree with somebody else's ideas or opinions, but I have to accept them as that's that person's opinion. That's that person's idea. I might have a different idea. That's okay. In life, if we were all made exactly the same, how boring would life be, really? If you think about it like that, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. On a societal level, it is harder because it starts with those individual choices to actively listen, to actively encourage people to give their opinion, to give their ideas, to put forward their voice. Often in society, that can be lost a little bit. It's a little bit harder. It's something that as a society together, we need to be conscious of. And I don't know how we achieve it really across the board, but it does start on the individual level. Is it important in mental health recovery, having your voice heard? 100% because I'm somebody with lived experience of mental health difficulties. I know there were certain times within my recovery journey that I did need that kind of hands-on help of, right, Tara, you need to do this. Tara, you need to do that to help you. And part of the empowerment within my journey started when I was very ill and it was like, OK, Tara, do you want to do this? where the choice was being given back to me. I wasn't being told what to do. What would you like the outcome to be? And it's kind of like, okay, so I do have a bit of power over this. I do have a bit of input into this. Having that personal responsibility, having that motivation and knowing that my voice matters, that I wasn't being dictated to, right, you have to do X, Y and Z to get better. I was involved as well. I could make a difference as well. And having that acknowledged made such a huge difference to me. Do you think that applies to all areas of health, Eileen? I heard a lovely expression a while back saying nothing about us without us. This idea that everyone should be involved in decisions made. Yeah, I think if there's going to be decisions made at any level, then you need to look at well, who's this actually impacting? Whose life is this important in? And those people should be involved from the beginning in terms of the discussions around changes that are going to happen, discussions around policy, discussions around anything really that's being developed or changed. The people that are going to be most impacted should be included in a meaningful way. So not just told kind of what's going to be happening or consulted about what's going to be happening. 
but actually from the start saying, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? What is it that you think needs to change? Some of the greatest and most meaningful and effective changes happen when you start from the very beginning by just asking people rather than presuming that you know what certain people in society want or what certain groups want. It should be the same whether somebody sits down in front of a psychiatrist or sits down in front of any other consultant. The person sitting there, the patient, is the expert in their own health, is the expert in their own mental health, physical health. Okay, they mightn't have the degree and they might need certain medical treatment and things like that that they can't do by themselves. But ultimately, they should have a choice and should have a say in what is happening around their health across all aspects. Can we talk a little about recovery education then? What role recovery education plays in helping somebody become more empowered? I think it comes back around to the team that we have in the Midlands, Slowdmead. So from the very starting point, the plan for recovery education is involving people with lived experience. So it's that shift in culture in the mental health services to actually start employing people with lived experience of using mental health services or family members who have supported somebody using mental health services. So when someone attends one of our modules in the community, you're guaranteed when you walk through the door, you won't be asked who you are, why you're here, what your background is, what your diagnosis is. We just treat everybody as human beings and labels are parked and left outside the door. Then when we're facilitating it, we make sure to try and include the voice of someone who has used services and family members as well. What we see a lot in feedback from people is it's great to hear from somebody who's just like me. It's great to learn from other people who have experienced things that I've experienced. It's great to get a sense that recovery is actually possible. So a few weeks ago, myself and Tara ran a workshop in the Department of Psychiatry in Portleash. And, you know, we had about 10 people who are inpatients there at the moment. Some of them have been there a few weeks. Some of them have been there months. And we ran a workshop and it was an educational workshop. It wasn't medical. We weren't going in with medical hats on or medical model. It was very much a conversation. What is recovery to you? What can help you in your recovery? Who can help you in your recovery? And then Tara, very bravely, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, shared her lived experience of having been where those people have been and now where you are now. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. She spoke for 10 minutes, sharing her personal narrative, her journey from I've been here. This is where I am now. Here are the things I did to get to where I am now. And here's what I continue to do. Again, the feedback, there was an overall sense of I feel hopeful about recovery, having listened to Tara's story, because stories is what people connect with. And we always try to include that. You know, we include pieces of research. We include theory, evidence-based information around different mental health topics and well-being topics. But central to it is the lived experience of people and their story. And that is always really what people connect with the most. Is that story an important story to tell, Tara, for people? Do they want to share their story? Do they want their voice heard? I think they do. And in itself, it is empowering. Coming back to that theme of what is empowerment, it is empowering to be able to tell your story and not have it judged, to not have to tick a box for anybody. It's 
your story. These are my experiences. They are valid experiences. You may understand them. You may be able to sympathise with them because your story might be quite similar. You may be 10 steps behind me or you may be 10 steps ahead of me on your personal story. There's commonalities there and those shared experiences makes it meaningful to people. It empowers you to actually be able to tell that story. For me, it's about trying to help somebody else and maybe help them on their journey to recovery, which to me goes hand in hand with the whole concept of empowerment. I can imagine it's quite reassuring then for somebody that's maybe lived in silence for a while. Definitely. It can be, yes. To be able to find your voice and express what's going on is massively empowering because for a long time I couldn't. For a long time I kept everything bottled up inside and put on that happy face mask that I know everybody at some point in their life has probably put on. To actually really be you and to feel safe doing that is a result of my journey of becoming more connected to people, finding the hope in my life, finding my own identity, finding my own meaning and ultimately being empowered. I, like, I can see that so relevant to many different areas in life, you know, that finding your voice. So how can we help people find their voice more? I think from a cultural perspective or even society or an organisation, it's definitely to start asking people to not make presumptions. You know, if we look at this country, it's changing massively over the years. And years ago, people would have been maybe locked up in St. Fintons or St. Lomans or St. Bridget's or wherever it is. Whereas now people actually feel like they're listened to more. How we can help people, one is to ask, but also then to be willing to listen. And I think by starting with doing small things ourselves or small things even at home, starting to give children choices over things. Like, you know, growing up, like you didn't have choices. It was kind of be seen and not heard, that type of thing. Teachers starting to give children and students choices within the classroom. Companies, organisations starting to give their employees and people using their services choices and opportunities to share their opinions. Actually then taking it on board and making changes based on those opinions trusting people possibly as well. Over the years there was a sense sometimes that some people in society needed to be minded when actually they need to be encouraged to take positive risks and to start setting goals for ourselves. Starting small, what are the things I can control? What are the things I can do? What are the things I am good at? And examine those and really spend time building goals around those things and working towards achieving bigger goals along the way. Because it's only through kind of achieving, I think, and reaching outcomes and being able to step back and reflect on your experiences that you become more empowered over time. I'm not sure there's many people born feeling empowered, depending on your upbringing, the school you went to, where you end up in life, you may end up feeling very disempowered or you may feel very empowered. But there are things you can do to change it along the way, like setting goals for yourself, like valuing your own opinion, while not discarding other people's opinions, obviously, but learning, listening and choosing to educate yourself about what it is that you need to educate yourself about, especially as adults. You move on from school, you move on from those places where you're given information. Really, an adult learner is about stepping back and saying, well, what do I want to know about? What do I need to know about to make my life more meaningful or to make my life better? And to try and take the opportunities where you can to do that. Can I ask Tara about identity? You've mentioned identity a couple of times. How does that play a role in empowerment? 
Well, I think for me, in my early years of life, I was a daughter. I was a sister. I was a minder of my family. Whereas now I've actually sat back and asked myself those questions. What do I want to be? What am I interested in? What gives me meaning? And really, it's a process of self-reflection, which can be really difficult and hard to do. And sometimes it can be really hard to be honest with yourself about what it is you want to do. Sometimes you don't know where to start. I started off with what am I interested in? What am I passionate about? What gets me thinking, yeah, I want to try that. And it's through doing those things, learning more about those things, educating myself, informing myself that I have found who I am today. And I think for a long time in my life, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who is the person Tara. Today, while I'm not 100% there, I'm still learning about myself because we always are. It's the journey. But at least I know now who I want to be, what I want to do and this is who I am. So is this like a self-awareness activity? Yeah, I mean, self-reflection is a self-awareness activity. Self-reflection can be one of the hardest thing you can do. It's starting off with the small steps. If that sounds really scary to some people, it's starting off with the small steps of what am I actually interested in? Not what I've been told all my life, you should be doing this. When we were in school, I remember being told, oh, you need to do a business degree. But I've no interest in that. Oh, but you need to do that to succeed. OK, I worked for years in finance. I now eventually work in an educational capacity within adult mental health services. I came to a realisation in the last 10 years that I had always wanted to work in education in some shape or form, but I'd never expressed that want. In terms of meaning then, how do you develop more meaning? I think it's about finding something that you enjoy in life and finding something that you like doing. Some people get that from work. Some people get that from hobbies. Some people get that from nature. Some people get that from their family. Not everybody likes their family. <laughs> Some people get that from spending time with friends or maybe just diving into a book and reading. I know last year when things were a little bit up in the air, I remember deciding to read through the whole Harry Potter series again. You know, I know it's technically a child's book, but I wanted to just have that sense of escapism. Sit down in the evening, sit down at night and just read about something else because of everything that was happening in the world with the C word. Um, so finding meaning is about what Tara mentioned, kind of figuring out what it is that I like doing what it is that's important to me. We get so caught up sometimes in comparing ourselves to others or we see other people having the Instagram life or social media life when really a lot of it is kind of fake. It's what people want to show the world. Whereas when you sit down at the end of your day and say, well, what did I do today that gave me meaning? Or when you start each day, I remember someone saying to me, try each day to do one thing that will give you joy which sounded like quite a challenge. It could be just listening to that piece of music, going for a walk, paying attention to something that's around you and really just taking time. It takes practice, I think. Tara mentioned all the things that people tell us growing up and the different voices we have in our heads. Sometimes we have to challenge those ourselves. Nobody else is going to challenge what's in our head. And sometimes we have to stop and ask, well, where does that even come from? Because I don't believe that about myself or about my world. There was something a couple of weeks ago where something happened and I heard in my head I had a thought that went you let yourself down and I actually was taken back a bit by it and I said that's not me 
that's a boss I had about 10 years ago. <laughs> Not a very nice boss. <laughs> and that had stuck somewhere in my head. Whereas now I would have enough self-awareness to kind of say, no, hold on, that's not what I think at all. And try to just discard that. You know, I think our thoughts are a massive thing as well to try and we can talk about having control in our lives. But if we work towards having more control over our own thoughts and challenging those negative beliefs about ourselves, that can improve our lives and empower us and also help us to realise what it is that does give us meaning. And I suppose it's kind of differentiating between the expectations of others and the expectations of yourself. At the end of the day, as you said, that voice that pops into your head and said to you that you let yourself down, that's somebody else's expectations of you. It's not you. It's a saying I always like. The guys have heard me saying it God knows how many times now. It's not my circus. Uh, positive affirmations. <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. And by that I mean I can only control what I say and do, my own actions. I can't control the actions of somebody else. I can't control how somebody else reacts to my words. But if I'm self-aware and mindful of my own actions, that's half the battle. Guys, thank you so much for coming in to chat today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, Slán Gofáil.